When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Need to Know, real talk about unidentified anomalous phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coulthard. From the U.S., Bryce Zabel. Hi, it's uh, Rich Johnson, your usually faithful producer and engineer for Need to Know. So Ross is on assignment for his real job. He's on the road around the great country and continent of Australia. Bryce is busy, but he's at home at stately Bryce Manor in the hilly regions of Los Angeles. But he did pick up the phone a few days ago and had a conversation with a new friend of the podcast, Frederick Dirks Gottlieb. He's a screenwriter and producer in Denmark and hosts a show on DR, short for Danish Radio, also short for the multi-channel radio and public TV service in Denmark. It's quite a long conversation. He's a fan. He's also a knowledgeable uh, ufologist. So let's listen in to Bryce and Frederick. Thanks to DR for letting us do this. Hi, Bryce. Hey there. Welcome to Denmark. I, I I love Denmark. I've been to Denmark twice. Uh, I, ah. I I went in uh, 2014 and 2019, right before the pandemic hit. Um, started in Sweden, I have to say. Um, okay. Where I okay. bought a Volvo car and drove it into Denmark. But I had a, a lovely country, and I've enjoyed my time there so very much each time. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, I must admit, I'm I'm a pretty big fan. Uh, I, of course, I know Dark Skies uh, very well, and all the projects you've been doing, I must see as that, that's the kind of career I, I, I would hope for myself um, to to do so much different stuff as you're doing from journalism to TV shows, producing, writing. It's it's uh, it's very cool. Well, it's it, 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 it is cool. I, I can't say that I don't enjoy it and haven't enjoyed it. But I have to say also, there's a whole lot of stuff behind the scenes with any career, uh, particularly in showbiz, where there's a lot of heartache, too. I mean, there's just it's a yeah. difficult business. Uh, it always has been. It's going to be that way in the future. But I've been lucky on a, on a certain amount of things. And and I think if my luck holds, it's looking more and more like I'll be in Europe this summer uh, shooting uh, our film, The Last Battle, which is about the last uh, battle of World War II in Europe. So wow. Wow. it could be fun. And maybe we'll be able to see each other then. Would be amazing. Sounds amazing. And if you come to Denmark, let me know. But Bryce, maybe for the listeners who don't know you that well, sure. could you give a brief introduction of uh, who you are and what you've been doing? Of course, regarding the, the UFO topic, both sure. in fiction and nonfiction. Well, I think a lot of people know me now because I'm the co-host with Ross Coulthard, who is probably the best investigative journalist working the UFO topic in the world today. And he and yeah. I have a, a podcast called Need to Know, which people can sort of get the uh, background on by just going to needtoknow.today. Pretty simple, one-stop shop. Uh, my background it's a is fantastic, actually, fantastic show. Oh, thank you. That's that's yeah. terrific. I mean, uh, we're hoping to make it even better. We keep working on it. But I started uh, as a television news person. Um, I came to Los Angeles as the first uh, CNN correspondent, actually uh, mm -hmm. worked as an investigative reporter myself uh, at PBS for a while, won a few awards myself. Um, and then uh, the show I was working on got canceled. And my wife said, uh, you know, maybe you should try writing a screenplay because the alternative was to grab my suitcase and go someplace else to be an anchorman. And so I tried writing a screenplay and uh, it was purchased, uh, made into a TV series up in Canada where they made over 100 episodes. And and I really said to myself at that point, if they keep paying me, I'll just keep doing it. It's kind of, it's kind of fun. And then I was attracted to the UFO issue Um and we can talk more about that. But mm. <clears throat> I, I managed to uh, write a film called Official Denial, which was the first uh, original film that the Sci-Fi Channel had ever done. And um, I put UFOs into a few shows like uh, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Yeah. And then I created the Dark Skies series for NBC, which is what most people know me for creatively uh, outside of the uh, journalism aspect. 
And then uh, worked on Steven Spielberg's Taken series. And uh, right now I have a whole slate. I'm kind of all in on UFOs. Uh, uh, and and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's where I am right now. <laughs> well, I'm right right there with you. Um, and Bryce, let, let me just ask you, the, the interest in, in UFOs or UAPs or whatever we call them these days, did that start in, in, in journalism or did that start in fiction? It, well, it, it it started in in fiction, but then I used the journalism skills that I'd gained to look into it. I mean, here's what happened. Um, <clears throat> I was I, I I was I had a fairly successful career. I'd already created two television series, and then I sold this uh, uh, this script to um, the Sci Fi Channel, uh, Official Denial, and I wanted it to be good, so. Uh, Without believing or not believing in UFOs, I thought, well, I, I need to get this right. So I started doing extensive uh, reading and research, and I kind of had one of those come to Jesus moments. I don't know if that translates into, you know, but in English, it simply means you're just having the, one of those moments where you realize, oh, my gosh, it's an epiphany. I was sitting literally in this office. It was like three in the morning. My wife is asleep and my kids are asleep and I'm I'm reading a book preparing, you know, to do another pass on this screenplay. And it just hit me like a, a ton of bricks. I just thought this stuff is real. This isn't yeah. just a great idea for a television movie or a television series. But there's an authenticity to it, which is kind of a shattering thing. And I'm sure most of the people who are watching or listening to us right now have probably mm -hmm. had their own epiphany where they mm -hmm. they realized that there's a reality to it. Now, do I know what the reality is? Uh, not exactly. Um, and, and I doubt very few people on this planet do, if any. But um, but I knew enough to know that it wasn't weather balloons and uh, entirely. And, and so, yeah, that's what got me into it. And then once I was into it, I started reading. And like probably, again, most of your listeners, um, I had a, a, a wall of UFO books and uh, I never stopped. I just uh, if the Internet, if anything, has sort of opened me up to exposing myself to all kinds of other ideas And uh, certainly the success I had with uh, Dark Skies uh, introduced me to many, many people in this uh, in this area. And I've had deep conversations with a lot of people about aliens over the years. And uh, they've been fascinating people from Steven Spielberg to Stan Lee, to, uh, you know, in between. So it's been fascinating. I've enjoyed the time in Hollywood. I've enjoyed the chance to take the UFO topic uh, out to people and and talk about it like yourself and 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 your own listeners. And and when when you watch Dark Skies, it's you you instantly know when you've been researching this topic as I have and and our our listeners have that this is written by made by someone who really knows his stuff. How much research went into mm. uh, to making this? And it's it's almost like. It's almost documentary level at in some in certain yeah. aspects. Um, who did you talk to, and 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 uh, and how did that show? Because <laughs> uh, right. you were the showrunner, right? So you, you sure. had the, the yeah, you were the all-seeing eye. Well, Frederick, how I have to say, there's not a simple answer to that one. We could probably do a couple hours on, uh, if not more, on what went into making Dark Skies. The short version I'll give you. Uh, the first thing I have to tell people is. I created a television series for the NBC broadcast network in the late 90s called Dark Skies. They, we made 20 hours of programming. It's available. Uh, the only place you can really watch it now is to get the DVD set. Uh, there's a European version and there's a, an American version. But in 2013, somebody else made a show, a, a movie called Dark Skies that was about alien abductions. I wasn't happy that they sort of took the title and ran with it like yeah. that. And in fact, Harvey Weinstein was the producer of it. So go figure. Uh, so I want <laughs> when we talk about Dark Skies, we're talking about Dark Skies Classic, which is the uh, television series that I created. So uh, the, it, it came into being in a in a way that we might revisit in in a moment but for right now uh to answer your question about the research uh, in it uh, my partner Brent Friedman and I uh literally built a time well first we came up with the concept we said let's take the two great conspiracies um UFOs and in America John Kennedy and let's put them in an atom collider and see what they come up with see what they what works when we put them together so we did that uh, for the pilot. But for the series, what we did is we literally took 
all UFO events and put it into a timeline where one column was UFO events. Then we took historical events, not just in the United States, but around the world, even in Denmark. And that was the second column. And then in the third column, we tried to track how they might relate to each other. And what was fascinating is that we did bring a lot of knowledge about uh, ufology. I mean, I knew the cases. The show took place in the 1960s. So what we ended up doing, of course, is focusing on the news events of the 60s and the UFO events of the 60s. And, and incredibly, many things did align. So for example, um, you know, we, we did a, a story uh, that took place during the New York power blackout of 1965. And in fact, there were UFO sightings at power stations uh, right before it. So it wasn't that hard to find some of these things mixing. But I think what you're referring to, Frederick, more than anything, is that what Brent and I tried to do is create a world, a universe, if you will, for dark skies, where everything that you thought you knew, that you you read history, you read magazines, you read newspapers, it was there pretty much mm. as you thought you knew it. And what we created was the subterranean layer where the UFO world just stretched out underneath that so so perfectly. And, and I the reason we did that is that our take was, okay, if Roswell was a true event, which I to this day believe was a true anomalous event, then that would mean in our movie where it starts in in our TV series where it starts in 1960 that the the powers that be had had uh, over a decade and a half to try to figure out what to do about it and so our series takes place in uh, in a group called Majestic 12 again yeah. borrowing from UFO uh, legacy stuff so that's that's why that's why it turned out the way it did and I think the reason it feels the way it feels is that um, we. we we didn't take it uh, slightly. We we cared about it. Uh, there have yeah. been other shows that have different philosophies. Uh, Project Blue Book, which you know many people liked, did not care whether their episodes were true in the least. They sort of used the ufological thing as a jumping off point. So they were able. They bent all the storylines. Ours again was. The main storyline was what you thought you remembered, and the bottom storyline was this UFO thing. So kind of a different take. And I think that's why it stands out today, to be honest with you. I think that's yeah. why people respond so well to it. Yeah. And it's very interesting. It's I would say watch that show if you want to be educated properly uh, in, instead of many other shows, even documentaries that are more, more fake than, uh, than Dark Skies. Um, but in, in Hollywood in general, Bryce... Um, I guess that's where most people get their knowledge of UFOs from, right? And uh, that's why I think a lot of people also view this as simply fiction, right? Um, but but you, I mean, <laughs> you don't. So so how how did you sort of connect those two? Also, when people talk to you about the show, do they get surprised that so much of this is actually well, from from real research? Well, let's face it. Uh, I don't know if it's true that most people get what they know about UFOs from fiction anymore maybe it was oh, but yeah. let's face it ufos have uh, had a, a constant amount of media attention from the beginning i mean in the summer of 1947 you couldn't open a newspaper without reading something about ufos and and it sort of continued with uh, peaks and valleys throughout throughout the the decades to follow so many people have a passing acquaintance with it um, yeah. And then, of course, the reason uh, here's what I explain Hollywood's uh, relationship with aliens as in about 90 percent of the cases, it's the fact that Hollywood likes conflict. I mean, a good movie has to have a conflict. Your character has to want something and somebody wants them not to get it. OK, so yeah. if a yeah. character like ours in Dark Skies wants the truth, then there are people that don't want him to get it, whether they be aliens or whatever. But aliens provide conflict. That's why you get a lot of alien invasion movies. And that's why you get Independence Day being a big, a big movie, things like that. So the audiences actually have been trained to like an alien movie, but not to take it seriously. You know, not to yeah, really exactly. say, oh, maybe they're real. Now that's changing. Uh for the last hmm. five years since that New York Times reporting and and uh the release of those three videos. More people than ever have a passing acquaintance that, hey, maybe some of this is real. And that allows them to think about it differently. But um, 
I, I think there's something else going on here too. Even uh, there are, well, let me back up more. I used to say that when I would go to a party or something, people would treat me like the drunk uncle at the wedding. Okay. Don't talk to Bryce <laughs> about UFOs. He'll talk your ear off and that guy. Okay. And in the last five years, they don't treat me that way anymore. Now they yeah. treat me like a guy that knows something. And all the friends come up to me at a party and go, Hey, Bryce, come here. What's the deal? What What do you know about this UFO thing? What's really going on? People want to know what's really going on. However, and I think this is something that you have found, I'm sure, and most UFO researchers or interested parties have found it. And that is even people who acknowledge that there is something going on that is anomalous, probably extraterrestrial or extra something, non-human, let's call it non-human, they don't want to talk about it. They, it, it makes them so uncomfortable. So, for example, huh. I have uh, three kids and a wife, and all of whom believe I'm right about UFOs. There's not none of them would say, "Well, Dad's crazy" or "My husband's nuts." Or nobody would. They not all to your think face, I'm right. Least. Okay, but <laughs> yeah, they don't want to talk about it. If I bring it up, um, it lands for a, a a comment or two, and then it's off to something else. And I, as I said before, and this is not a put down of my own, my own family, but Ross and I, Ross Coltart and I have done 30 episodes of need to know. And I don't think a single member of my family has actually watched or listened to one of them. It's just, okay. it's just something that makes them uncomfortable. So they'll watch, uh, you know, if I have a movie made, they certainly all watch dark skies, but do they want to talk about the reality not so much, even though they mm. believe in it. Now, is that changing? A little bit, but I think you probably in your own life have seen that. You talk to somebody and you know they'll they'll talk for two or three or four or five minutes, and then suddenly, yeah, well, you know, hey, we took a great trip this vacation, you know, and and change the yeah. subject because it's uncomfortable. Exactly. Yeah, it's uncomfortable and it it really makes you wonder about your own play because if you make people think long and hard about this topic and even just the topic of the universe, you will see another side of people. They will right. start to see, Oh, okay. Maybe all of this is kind of, you know, a uh, small time compared to the, the, the big universe. And then they begin to make, you know, their own um, ideas of what's happening sure. and what could possibly happen. And that freaks people out sometimes. I think a little bit, uh, the feeling of being so small and, um, we tend to just forget about it, right? I agree with that. Uh, but I, it, at the same time, I think people are willing to believe that we're not alone in the universe. I mean, you'd have to sure. be you, you'd have to be unread and un you know not current to th understand how infinitely large the universe is, and therefore, if there's billions and billions of other star systems that might support life with trillions of planets out there, then yeah, most people are willing to say, yeah, we're probably not alone. But yeah. historically, the Carl Sagan's and the Neil deGrasse Tyson's have said, well, yeah, the universe probably is teeming with intelligent life, but they can't possibly be here. That's why they concentrate on SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. They want to say, well, whoever is, you know, joining us in the universe is out there. They can't mm. be here. And I think the unsettling part is this anomalous technology that has been in our skies and our seas for nearly eight decades now is most definitely here, mm. right? It's not, we're not communicating by radio signals with, with whoever's there. We're seeing them in our skies. <clears throat> we're, we're picking them up on our radars. We're seeing them under our oceans. Uh, so something is here. So the, the, the thing that has happened over the last five years that is at least progress is we have moved slightly from where people would say, well, I don't know if UFOs are real or not. Well, I think that was always a misnomer because UFO meant unidentified flying objects. So, of course, UFOs have always been here because there's always been things that are unidentified. The question is, do they represent anomalous and or non-human technology? And increasingly, the government seems, the U.S. government and other governments around the world seem to be more and more comfortable with saying, well, yeah, um, they're real. 
we don't make them. Uh, we're pretty sure Russia doesn't make them, and we don't think China makes them. So, you know, do the math. Somebody yeah. else is go, making go figure. them, and that's that's a little disturbing. And <clears throat> that's what I think we are in right now. The next decade is going to be moving past the are they real to asking ourselves why are they here what do they represent all, and all the questions are we safe i mean what's their agenda so uh, and 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 all of that so we're entering you know it's not getting less interesting it's getting more interesting need to know continues in a moment The, the reason why I, I said before, you know, that maybe some people get their knowledge from from movies and that make them sure. believe that this is fiction. It's because, you know, I was born in the 80s. Um, my dad, he was born in the 40s. And, you know, he right. he, he believed that this was real. Uh, and I found that out after his death 10 years ago, actually, by looking in his old, old, um, he had wow. old UFO magazines. And he actually had like a handwritten note about JFK and ho hoping for more. Oh wow! Disclosure, really? Yeah, so it's kind of a weird story. Yeah, so when I grew up with him, I just thought, oh, he likes science fiction, and we we would watch, you know, Close Encounters and all of those uh, classic movies, uh, X Files, Dark Skies, all of this, and just I just looked at it as pure fiction because, right, from my generation, you know, we grew up with ET and stuff like this, and we had no idea that some of these stories for instance, close, close Encounters, actually came from real research. So we were just completely, I was completely taken aback when I found out that he actually had like a, a genuine belief in, 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 in the subject. And that kind of changed something in me as well. And we are living in a, you know, a, a, an era, I think, that remind, reminds me a lot of the 50s and 60s where, you know, you could actually have conversation with people about this stuff. And uh, there was like an authenticity to the to the to well, the subject that I felt went away in the '80s and the '90s uh, a little bit uh, personally. Well, let, I mean, let's. There's been a storied history of of uh, sort of commingling between officialdom and Hollywood. Um, it it hasn't. You know, Hollywood didn't discover UFOs with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The very first. A uh, UFO themed film was made in 1950, and it was called The Flying Saucer. And exactly. uh, in the 50s, they had a series of them: Earth versus the Flying yeah. Saucers, The yeah. Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, War of the Worlds. Um, you know, the, all all of those classic 50s movies were alien movies. Pe so people were talking about it. They were going to movies, uh, and and some of those movies um, had connections. Uh, one, uh, one in particular, and I'm, I'm I'm blanking on the title, but did have the uh, the CIA giving advice on it, and then several of the others had to get approval of the U.S. military uh, t for production help, and and some got it and some didn't. So there's always been this kind of relationship, okay. um, and but it is interesting. I, I take your father's story. Uh, I, I think a lot of us uh, would be surprised at how our our parents uh, thought about it. I, you know, like for example, you said that your father and you used to be able to go to these uh, you know, science fiction movies and enjoy those together. So that would be kind of a logical way to sort of dip your toe in the water. Now, my father was old school. You know, he didn't yeah. watch sci-fi. You know, he he watched, uh, he you know, his, his prime time was literally when there were three television networks in the U.S. and you could watch ABC, NBC, or CBS. That's what he watched. He didn't go to the movies and watch science fiction or anything. But, for example, so he was a pretty hardcore, he would have been skeptical. Um, but I remember when I was doing Dark Skies, he had gone to one of his, uh, he was a World War II vet, and he'd gone to a troop carrier reunion. And he he came to me and he said, you know, um, I just saw one of my buddies from World War II, and he was transferred to Roswell right after we broke up. And, you know, I got to go home. He went to Roswell. And this person had taken him aside and said, hey, Harvey, come here. Um, your son's the guy with that Dark Skies series, right? My dad said yes. And he said, well, you tell him he's right on because I was at Roswell in 47. And it was no nobody would shut the base down tight like they did for this thing. Uh, 
over a weather balloon. I don't care how classified the weather balloon was. He said everybody was on edge. He was being told constantly, eyes straight ahead, private, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah I mean, people have been talking about, and, and you know, what I think is happening too, and has been happening is if you think about it, what caused America to turn against the Vietnam War? It's when our young boys across the United States, in cities and in small towns or whatever, everybody knew somebody, a family who had lost a son. And it's happening with the Russians right now in Ukraine. Uh, everywhere yeah. across uh, Russia, there are parents who have lost children, right? And so it's becoming very real. Well, the same dynamic's been at work on the UFO slash UAP issue for all these decades, which is maybe you haven't seen one. I certainly have not seen one. Okay. I've not been abducted. I'm not an experiencer. I've not seen a UFO close and personal, but um, I know many, many people who have, and that's what's mm. happened now. The people who used to shut up because they were told, Hey, if you talk about this, you'll lose your job or you'll lose your pension or you'll, you'll alienate people. They're not being told to shut up as much anymore. And they're all coming out of the woodwork. And we're realizing that a monumental um, um, amount of sightings have taken place and not sightings of, Oh, I saw, so I saw this light in the sky do this. We're talking about authentic sightings. I mean, in that UFO library that I've got and it's mirrored by yourself and, and I'm sure many of your listeners, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's case after case, after case, after case, it's never ending. And, and these are these are cases seen by military pilots and police officers and doctors and lawyers and 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 common people too and 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 in every country on earth. It's like to deny that something is going on is just being silly right now. So that's why it's appropriate that we're moving into this new world view where we say, well, something's going on, but I don't understand what it is, and I'd like to know more because, frankly, that probably explains how you feel and I feel. Sure, yeah, and um, you know, doing this show, and I know that you and Russ, uh, who's been a guest previously on the show as well, um, you 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 know both know that when you start doing a show like this publicly, right. a lot of people contact you and. Lately, I've been getting a lot of emails from people from the, the Danish Navy, actually, which has been pretty eye-opening how many people have seen stuff uh, dating back to the to the 70s and yeah. up until, you know, late uh, 2000s. And, you know, I don't know why. It's not because they are more believable than than, than regular people or what, right. what we should call them, but it's something extra when you're used to using your two eyes to locate stuff um that that is something else but but Bryce yeah, yeah sorry I was just going to ask you a question um yeah how would you characterize Denmark's official relationship to the UFO issue whether it's the military or the government how does your country respond to it that's a good question um we've been pretty neutral for a lot of years i think back in the in the 50s and the 60s where my dad was actually active in the danish ufo community we had a really strong community i think uh, then it sort of died out in in uh, like i said before in mm -hmm. the 80s 90s you know there was a lot of it was more of a skeptical thinking uh, of sure. this stuff and it it was back then when you had like more of a monoculture right and and if the media did, If if certain journalists or certain um, people didn't believe this was real, that would be the story, and that would be the end of the story, actually. But today, you know, with Twitter and Facebook and podcasts and all of this, it's it's changing rapidly. So I would say, I mean, I'm doing this show on on uh, national public radio, right? So something has happened, and uh, and now I would say that Denmark is a is a is a whole other place than they used to be. And people are being very open-minded, taking it very seriously. I mean, we are kind of cynical, uh, scientific people. You know, we we are proud of our, you know, educations and academics. And uh, we have Niels Bohr, of course, the, the great scientist and stuff like that. And I do this show actually no, normally with my co-host and astrophysicist, Anya. But just the fact that she's willing to do this, and I've had all of the, a lot of the, the most... Um, esteemed scientists on this show tells you a lot that it's moving in 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 the right direction where we can actually discuss this no matter what you believe the discussion 
is fascinating. And if you're a skeptic or you're a believer, you have this thing in common that you think this is an exciting topic. So so no matter what, I just I, I like to see everybody participate. And that's where we are right now. I think in Denmark, it's it's pretty strong right now. It's 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 interesting because uh, clearly the United States, while it is a powerful country and certainly post-World War II, it did exert a lot of influence everywhere. That influence isn't across the board anymore. So the to act like the United States is in charge of whether or when we disclose what we know uh, seems not to be a logical way to look at it. There's all these countries, including Denmark, that could... Uh, start immediately to start talking about their cases in an official way. And many countries in South America have done that. You know, yeah. I, I think um, I, I just keep wondering who's exerting the influence over all these countries in the world that more of them aren't stepping forward and saying, we want to engage this issue in an open way. And uh, I'm kind of hopeful that that's going to change the equation in the years to come. Yeah, because in addition to what I said earlier, from the government, there's been complete silence. I've had one politician on, um, and and he didn't. I would say he didn't add much. Sorry, <laughs> but um, yeah, we haven't had that kind of you know interest from 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 those places at least. But maybe maybe it's coming. I don't know. Maybe well, maybe we. You know, yeah. the thing is, um, there are certain countries in the world which I currently believe have have access to and probably possession of craft um, that is anomalous. And uh, that would include the United States, but some other countries. I don't know that it includes Denmark, um, but it could. I mean, there have been enough of these these retrieval operations that you, you can bet that somebody's got some stuff. And in fact, that's the hot rumor, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure you've heard it too. The yeah, hot rumor sure. out there is that as the United States begins to have its intelligence committees look into this issue and is taking testimony, sometimes from whistleblowers, which is a brand new thing, that, that there is this undercurrent of confirmation that we have, in some cases, perhaps fully operational craft, but it's certainly wreckage and possibly bodies, which is mind-blowing. I mean, as a young man growing up, I was content just to say, well, people are talking about UFOs, you know, that's interesting yeah. looking out. But the idea that there would be crashes, I remember just dismissing that as being fringe stuff. And I, I'm not sure it is. No, and, and I, I still get that reaction in a way, even though I talk to 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 all the people who um who, who's in the know. Um because it's still so far from what I considered reality a few years ago. Sure. Um, so I'm still, you know, I'm still waking from it from a dream, uh, in in a sense. Do, do you know what I'm what Absolutely. I'm saying? Absolutely. I, I still, I, I you know, I I, I flip flop from from one side to the other all the time because there is this two sides of me, the past and the present, that they're kind of struggling a little bit. Well, you know, and and I think here's something else we all struggle with. Um, you and I seem to share a, a certain commonality in that we believe that there is an anomalous. Uh, element to this that that can't be explained by our current technology and certainly the technology we see out there wouldn't explain what we are seeing in 1947 unless that technology was timed unless chinese drones were time traveling back to 1947 and 48 <laughs> then i don't know what explains that so we are living in a time where we we just we don't know exactly what to make of it and yet we we instinctively feel like transparency and uh, the word disclosure should be a part of it. Well, now I don't expect anybody to just tell us everything they know, but I would expect at some point somebody confirms that, hey, by the way, let's shift the conversation. But not only are we admitting they're real, but we're admitting they're non-human. There's a non-human intelligence that has been engaging with us which is where we need to be right now. We need to be talking about that. Why is that not happening? Why hasn't it happened? Well, uh, Dark Skies, which we started talking about, really was yeah. kind of a tone poem about disclosure. On the one side, you had the the head of Majestic 12 who said, um, the, the, pub, the, the people can't handle the truth, all right? They just can't handle it. That's why we have to keep it secret. Then you had the Lone Guard character was the young Majestic 12 agent who said, the people have a right to know. Well, you know what? It's not 
impossible for two things to be true at the same time. It is possible to say the people have a right to know and the people can't handle the truth and they can both be true at the same time. Why would that be? Well, since you and I have not been briefed into uh, the, any secret society that proposes to tell us and share all the work, it might be that the actual bottom line truth is either disturbing or immensely confusing and maybe both. So yeah. uh, I, I I think we need disclosure, but I'm a little worried about it because um, we, we don't know what would be disclosed at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, and, and because you did the book 80 um, after this disclosure, right. right. With the great uh, Richard Dolan. Yes. And um, you had the three phases of, yeah. of disclosure, right? Um, it's the let me see here. It's the 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 full radical disclosure, right? And the right and the partial control disclosure and the false deceptive disclosure. Right. I don't know how fresh in your mind that this <laughs> book is, and 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 these. Well, it's funny, are, but... you know. Richard Dolan and I wrote that book uh, a, a decade ago, and I've forgotten more about UFOs since then than I knew at the time. But I, I think what our t uh, uh, what we tried to do was make it an intellectual exercise. Let's ask ourselves. There, as as we said at the time, there has been five thousand books written about UFOs trying to prove they're real. So why should we write number five thousand and one? What if we write the first book that talks about how the world's going to change once we acknowledge that? And you know, I thought other people would come in on the heels of that and and render our book just the first of a, a bunch. But here we are a decade later, and it's still the only one of its kind that's been dedicated yeah. to that analysis. And I think what Richard and I were saying was, okay, I don't expect ever for the president of the United States or the secretary general of the UN to walk out before cameras and say, okay, you know, by the way, that UFO thing, it's totally real. It's non-human intelligence. And for all your reporters out there, we have a, you know, 10 gigabyte hard drive that you can take back to your uh, stations full of uh, photos and videos and documents. That's not going to happen. That would be full disclosure. Uh, but yeah. I don't need it to happen. You know, I, I understand there may be classification issues and all that. I'm not prepared to fight with um, people about that. But <clears throat> What partial disclosure would be is what I've come to call these days, not so much disclosure. I would full disclosure is that's disclosure. It's like, here's what's going on. Uh, partial disclosure to me is more like a word confirmation. And I realize I'm parsing English words and it's your second language. So I don't mean to be, you know, putting too much value on that. But confirmation is simply acknowledging that it's real. And it's not us. If the governments of the world would simply confirm that, the public can take it from there. Then we would stop this constant trying to prove this case is the case that's going to make everybody believe, which frankly is just one case out of 50,000 that have happened. And instead we can move to, okay, that case is probably a good case. There's been other cases. Some of them may have been false, but many of them were not. There's a reality to it. That's where we need to get right now because we are stuck. Now, even with this five years of openness that we've tried to usher in, we're still stuck. We're still stuck where nobody will just come right out and say, it looks like it's a, a non-human intelligence. I yeah, think well, we need to get to that. And if I was a betting man, uh, which I'm not, but if I was, I, well, let me put it this way. I wouldn't bet my house on it, but I might bet your house on it. I would bet, <laughs> I would bet that, you know, two or three years is going to make a big change. And if we were to look three years out from where we are now, we will probably be in that period where the majority of people are willing to admit that uh, we're being visited by somebody. Stay with us. We're back in a moment because you need to know. I think we need to be positive because really if it's been here for so long, it, it, it hasn't you know, harmed us yet, at least. So, well, so but I, you I know, Frederick, you know, the problem, <laughs> I hear that too, because 
people do say that. They go, well, yeah. you know, if uh, if they meant us harm, we'd be gone by now. Well, not necessarily. We're thinking about a non-human intelligence. You know, here in the United States, we think in four-year terms because that's what the presidency is, right? So we go, yeah. you know, we you can't even get a, a political platform approved. You know, it's, it's a four years and out kind of thing. So, but what if there's another intelligence that thinks in terms of thousands of years instead yeah. of four years or a year or two weeks or whatever, but they think in 10,000 years. All right. Well, if they think in 10,000 years, then the idea that they haven't done anything outrageous in the last 80. I mean, you, you, kind of reason. Um, so you're, you're completely right. I mean, and as soon as we, we, we even talk about this topic as, you know, from our own uh, rationale, it it already is uh, muddied. You know, because we we can't even think of it as as something that we we can grasp. I would say, if it is here, we 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 really have no idea why and what would happen. Well, and 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 frankly, um, it, it may be a very human thing to be thinking about. Well, if they meant us harm, they would have already done it. Well, what does harm look like? you know, to another intelligence. Mm, mm. Um, I, I'd be just as afraid, I am just as afraid um, that whatever this other intelligence is, is possibly indifferent to us, which which could be just as bad as as, as anything else. So um, I am turning off my phone. There we go. <laughs> is it Ross Coldheart? If it was Coulthard, I'd take it and put him on. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you should. Although God knows the biggest problem with doing uh, a a podcast with someone in Australia is Ross and I figuring out with the calendars. Okay, what would be a good time to have this? You oh, and I just yes. had this issue here right yeah. now. It's uh, late morning for me, but I think it's uh, getting into the mid evening for you. Right? You're about. Oh yeah, it's uh, eight o'clock in the evening now. Right, and Ross yeah. is seventeen hours. Uh, past yeah. me. So we have actually found that the best time for us to record is I'm at this desk at like two or three in the afternoon, my day, and he's at his desk the next day, but like at nine in the morning, which actually works yeah. out pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, very good. that's pretty good. Okay. But but uh, before I, I let you go, Bryce, let me just ask you, because you, you, you all your projects really when i when i sit and i look at, at at what you've been doing you've always been ahead of your time actually i'm not trying i'm not trying to suck up to you but you know dark skies when it came out in my book very much ahead of its time and sure. ad disclosure and also a lot of your other projects more maybe more unknown to at least danish people um so if you were to do a ufo film or show right. tomorrow in this world um with all that we know now and and now you're working with Russ Coldheart and you're right in the midst of it way more than you were back in the 90s how would that show or movie look like oh well i am trying to do that um it's just hard to i hope so sell, <laughs> but um here's how i what i think the world could probably use right now and i'm trying to provide some of that which is uh, more projects that are not just an alien invasion project where the the people who write it don't really know much about the topic and they're just making up stuff and going, this would be cool if this scene happened. I'm trying to look into some projects that actually are grounded in, um, well, I don't know if, you know, the reality people will have to decide, but, but the fact that they happen. So for example, um, I have a project called Captured, which is a, um, a limited series Uh, and it's based on the Betty and Barney Hill case, uh, which yeah. I'm I've been fascinated by all my life, and I hope to bring that one uh, to the forefront. I also have uh, two books about Roswell under option: uh, Don Schmidt's uh, Witness to Roswell and Stanton Friedman's Top Secret Magic, and um, I have a film script called The Crash that we're trying to set up, which would be a, a, a literally how the Roswell case was broken. You know the competition between Friedman and and Schmidt, so that's interesting. Um, that's never been done before, right? Because that was actually no. a question I had. The, the it's weird that the you know most famous case and one of yeah. the most fascinating mysteries ever hasn't been really well. Properly I mean, here's the here's the problem. Uh, it Don Schmidt's first book, I believe, going back to 1994, was turned into a movie for Showtime. It was developed okay. by HBO. It came out on Showtime in 1994 called Roswell. 
But here's the problem. You can't watch it right now. It's not streaming anywhere. It's not on DVD mm -hmm. anywhere. It's missing. So I've just set out to say, look, it doesn't even matter. Now it's time for new thinking and, and all that. So I'm working on that. And then I have two things that are very exciting that really have me. I mean, it, I probably have an abundance of things I'm working on, and maybe I should focus more, but uh, I can't help myself. One of them is a scripted podcast, which looks like we're close to setting it up. It's called Undeniable. And it is literally about a newscast. You only see it through the point of view of the newscast um, after we have confirmation that we're not alone and, and what okay. that looks like. And um, that could be a podcast first and then a television series. But the script I've worked on that, that I wrote because I said somebody has to try to do this. And, and given that I wrote Dark Skies, maybe I can. It's simply called UAP. All right. And it is literally... Uh, an hour drama uh, could be on a broadcaster, could be on a streamer, but it's literally trying to tell the story of where we are now in kind of a fictional way. So in other words, um, shows that you've probably heard of the West Wing or, um, uh, yeah. you know, that kind of thing with aliens. Right. Yeah. So th those are the things I work on. I, I, I split my time between trying to sell them and trying to write them. And, um, and in many regards, my Hollywood career has been distracted by doing the success of Need to Know that I've been doing with Ross because, you know, you can't go on the air with Ross Coulthard and phone it in. You know, you got to be no. up on your game. So <laughs> he, he sure I, you doesn't. Know. He sure doesn't phone it in. So no. You, you and be so you know, if I'm going to be if I'm going to be on the air with him, I I feel an obligation yeah. to to try to be my best self. And so, you know, I just want to again tell people that we've talked about it. If you want to know more about that, it's need to know dot today, not dot com, but dot today. And uh, that'll sort of hook you up with everything we've talked about. And what Ross and I have tried to do, by the way, is uh, we try to give everybody a little bit of the update about what's happened since the last time we were on, which I think is useful. But we also try to put this in context because it's irritated the heck out of me to see hmm. reporters who don't know much about the topic literally write articles as if the first time anybody ever saw a UFO was 2004 with the Nimitz. And that just bugs me. So what yep. I've tried to do is take the things that we're talking about today and put them into a historical context so people realize this has been going on a long time. It's not brand new. And I think that helps you to consider where we might be right now. We're we're not in the we're not at the beginning of the game. We're probably at the end of the game. Yeah. And and do you 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 were on that uh, Spielberg show. Have yeah. have you ever talked got gone to talk because he he went out uh, recently actually and yes. talked a little bit about it. Uh, a journalist yes. finally asked him about it and he 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 was like smiling and rubbing his hands a little bit and oh it's very exciting. <laughs> it was um, yeah and you know a lot of some people when they've been dealing with a subject as long as Spielberg you know going way back to the seventies they kind of get a little bit cynical about it. But he seemed like he was still you know hot warm. Um, Absolutely. Have you talked to him about it? Yes, I have. Yeah. I, I, I've I've met Steven Spielberg multiple times. I worked, uh, well, actually, when I was doing Dark Skies, I had kind of an encounter with Spielberg, which we don't have time to go into. Let's just say that Spielberg... Clo a close encounter with Spielberg. Yeah, I had a close encounter with Spielberg <laughs> during Dark Skies. Then I ended up working uh, on his show Taken that was on the Sci-Fi Channel. Um and we did have multiple meetings with him um, at the time where we talked about UFOs. And interestingly enough, because a lot of people go, well, he's been totally briefed by the government. He knows everything. And he's uh, that's not the impression I got, um, because I felt like he was like you and me. You know, uh, he knows a lot, but he hasn't been told you know, the bottom line. So just like you and I are, can go back and forth and go, well, what about that case? What about this? That's what I felt from the man. Uh, I felt he's truly interested in it. I note that you said he, uh, you know, just talked about it. And I had to smile because one of the things he said in his interview is, well, you know, what if they're us from the future? Well, hmm. my first movie, Official Denial, that's what it's about. They're us from there the future. Go. At the yeah. end of the picture, you realize that the people who are abducting this guy are future humans. So I had to smile at his smile 
which was interesting. And then, you know, I, 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 we haven't talked about it, but I used to be the chairman of the Television Academy, which is the group that gives out the Emmy Award. And when I was chairman, uh, his show uh, Band of Brothers was nominated and I got to sit uh, for like uh, a three and a half hour show with Spielberg and Tom Hanks. So that was pretty fun. So I met <laughs> the guy and, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think he's a brilliant director and I commend him for the work that he's done to bring this forward. And, and I thought his interview could, you know, he could go a lot deeper, to be honest with you, I'd like to get Steven Spielberg in a, in a two hour conversation and just, uh, and that, that was would be amazing. public as opposed yeah. to private. In other words, you know, when we were working on taken, we talked to him at length, but of course that would never be released. So I think it's time for Steven to go on the record. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Well, uh, Bryce, it's been fascinating uh, talking to you and uh, both you. the the Hollywood aspect and the real aspect, which is why it's so it's so fantastic right now that that those two are kind of melting in, and you seem right. like the the perfect ambassador in these times, uh, having a leg in, in in a foot in each camp. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, hat, hats off to you. You said, I mean, you're you're kind of ahead of your time, no pun intended. Um, so. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something. I'm not the uh, you're. I, I'm I'm older than you, and I got to tell you, um, I just have come to the place where I have I lack patience. Um, I I believe it's time to get to where we've got to go with this thing and get this party started. Um, it's time for the people that have known more than you and I to share their work because I'm not getting any younger and I literally do not want to shuffle off this earth and not know. I would like to know what we know so that I can feel whatever emotions are appropriate for that. So I hope that the show that you and I have done today and need to know and all this, all this other new attention, I hope we get lucky and that the people who actually do know more than us start to share their work because it's the right thing to do. And I look forward to that. And maybe when that happens, we'll have another conversation about what it all means. That would be amazing. I would love that. Thank you so much, Thank uh, you. Bryce. It's Take care. Uh, been an honor and a pleasure. Need to Know is a joint production of Stellar Productions and Powerful Owl Productions. The producer is Rich Johnson. Want more? Find more at needtoknow.today. That's need to know dot today.